0: Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Real World Talks. Uh, My name is Lourdes, and I have Kathy and Natalie here with me this morning. Hello. Good morning. And today's episode, we actually have a very special guest with us. He is one of our professors at the Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management, and his name is Andrew Morio. Good morning, Andrew.
1: Good morning, ladies.
2: Good morning. He's actually one of our favorite, one of our favorite professors.
0: Yes, yeah. okay. <laughs> You may get in trouble with that one,
1: Kat. <laughs> no, I,
2: I saved myself in our office instead of one Come of on. our favorite. Okay, one.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we all know I'm, I am I am the favorite. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, See, now he's really trying <laughs> to get us in trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us this morning, Andrew. We appreciate you taking the time yeah. um, out of your schedule. We know you have a full class load and um, a very busy home life. So thank you so much. We appreciate it.
1: No problem. You're very welcome.
0: And so um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about um, your background and how you got into teaching just to kind of give the viewers of, of the listeners, excuse me, a feel of who you are and your, you know, where you came from and how you got into teaching?
1: Sure, so I come from the food and beverage industry. I started working in restaurants in the kitchens when I was 14 and worked steadily in both back of the house and front of the house uh, for most of my life. Uh, I also went to the Culinary Institute of America and got a uh, cooking certificate. Um, And from there, um, I got my master's degree. And then I worked for the Culinary Institute of America doing curriculum development, and I started teaching for them for non-professionals on weekends. They would have like eight-hour classes for non-professionals, and that was really my first step into teaching, and I really liked it. Uh, That's when I decided to go back and get my PhD, and then I I went to UNLV and got my PhD, and... The nice thing, one of the nice things about UNLV was anyone who goes there to get their PhD not only does research and takes their own classes but they also teach. So that was really when I started teaching college courses, with uh, UNLV, and now I'm here at FIU.
3: Awesome, awesome. So what courses do you teach, and what which of those courses are your favorite to teach?
1: So at FIU, I've taught. Um, Restaurant Management, 3263, uh, Senior Seminar, which is 4294, and um, then our graduate class, Strategic Management, and I don't remember the number on that one, 62-something-something. Something. Um, what's my favorite? Well, it's hard to say. I think my I like my undergraduate classes because the restaurant is – my background. where I come from. It's everything I've done. And so I really like to talk about that. And I have lots of war stories and, and can relate my industry experience to, to my students. So that's fun. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's hard right now. But my, I think my favorite really is my senior seminar.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because I get to see these students. Oh, it's a required course. And there's not a lot of us that teach it. So I get to see probably almost half of every graduating class coming out. And so then when you go to commencement, especially if you've had them in a face-to-face class or a hybrid class, you have this personal connection with them as they're walking across the stage and they come off and we do the the greeting line and get to shake their hands. And some of them, you get a hug. And so it's just a really nice way to finish out the academic year um, at graduation and, having that personal interaction with the students that you had. And sometimes it's great because then I've had, sometimes I have them both in restaurant management and senior seminar. And so you have this more personal connection with them. And and it's not just another face in the crowd. You kind of, you kind of know them
2: awesome awesome and also for our listeners he mentioned that class too because that class works along with our office hint hint why he's one of our top five favorite professors no 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 but um <laughs> actually um it's a great class and i think that um, honestly andrew you do an amazing job with the students um and i think it's important that they kind of almost caught consider like almost like a capstone class where they're finishing and they're doing all these amazing projects but Um, you as well as some of the other professors who teach that class too, they wanna make sure that they're not just set academically for graduation, but that they're also set for their career. So we also wanna tell you thank you because you always support our office and making sure whatever you can engage those students to continue to support them career wise, especially at that senior graduating point, um, you always support them and also support our office. So thank you for that. And speaking about career, you were saying kind of about maybe like it's like a little challenge of which is your favorite class because restaurant is your baby. That's where you came from. You're right. talking about how you got started so early. So let's say somebody wanted to kind of go into that food and beverage or that restaurant management field. Um, what advice would you give them um, to kind of get them started and to have a successful career within um, restaurant management or food and beverage?
1: So I think it really depends on how old you are, um, <clears throat> which may sound as a strange answer. Um, if you know from a young age you like this industry. So if you're still in high school, your best bet is to go, and it's not glamorous, no one likes it, but it's where you should start. Start being a dishwasher. Be a bus boy or bus, you know, a bus person, be a host, a hostess, um, a bar back. If you get those foundational skills and experiences up front and you put in some time, look the In in almost any industry, you just need to put in time as well as having the education. Okay, so when you're young, you know we all know those positions don't pay a ton of money. So when you're younger, Mm -hmm. you're in high school and you could pick up just a part-time job, and you're only doing it a couple nights a week, and but it's enough to put a little money in your pocket to pay for gas or go have some fun with your friends. Great, and then you get your toes wet and find out if you really like it or not. Let's say, but let's say you didn't do that. You didn't know. You came to it a little later. You're already in college. Again, because you need to make a little bit more money and, and maybe being a busser or a dishwasher um, isn't going gonna, to gonna cut it financially, you know, a lot of places will let you start out as if you go and you want to be a server, they'll let you start as a busser and then move quickly into being a server. Or some will even hire you right in as a server, especially if you have the right personality. Um, that's the one thing about restaurant, especially front of the house good companies will hire for personality. Um, I can teach anyone to cook. I can teach anyone how to put an order in to a POS system, to a point of sales system. I can teach anyone the steps of service. What I can't teach you and make you want to do is how to want to serve people, how to Mm -hmm. want to provide good hospitality and good service. Um, so if you have that in you already, and you can demonstrate that to employers, then I think you'll you'll have one leg up and, and one foot already in the door. You know, if you're a back of the house person and you really like to cook, go in and uh, you might have to start in dishwasher, but keep showing up. Show the chef or the kitchen manager that you know you want to go to the move to the salad station. That's usually where people move next. You know, you'll do some dishwasher. You can do salad station. We call it pantry or dessert. And then you show yourself there, and then you can move up to the next, you know, fry cook, um, saute station, and, and on and on. Um, so it's really about, this industry is a little bit about swallowing your pride, knowing mm-hmm. you're not going to go in and you're not going to be a front of the house manager your first job out. Just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go in and you put in some time, but if you get the education to go along with it, once, once a position opens up, you're much more likely to get it. And then once a higher level position so if maybe you're a shift manager or just part of the house manager then the gm position opens you can move up up even further um so that you got to have both the experience and the education if you want to uh rise up the ranks in this business
0: yeah
2: yeah thank you andrew and you mentioned like a couple of things that i think it's important that we um i know we talk to our students about um it's just number one being patient wanting to work hard A lot of times you go into, you know, college thinking, I'm going to jump out. We've heard it. I'm like, what do you want to do when you graduate? I'm going to be a director of food and beverage. I'm like, whoa, okay. (laughs) How much experience do you have in food and beverage? I haven't started that yet. They're like, okay, so we need to kind of start from the root. Um, But I think, like you said, it's like, you know, putting in that hard work, being humble and not minding to... You know start kind of i don't want to say from the bottom but honestly that's one of the ways that we've seen some really great leaders who kind of wrote you know started from the bottom and their way all the way to the top and then also having that dna of of guest service you got to love you know to want to serve um people and go above and beyond like i always tell students there's nothing worse than running into someone that you can tell they're not a customer service person they're not a people person you can tell it right away
1: yeah. so i'm yeah. glad
2: that you definitely shared that as well too
1: so so I'm gonna put you guys on the spot, if in the <laughs> restaurant. Uh, yeah, yeah. See, you're gonna quiz me later. I'm gonna quiz you now. <laughs> in the restaurant business, what's the most important position? There and don't there is there is a correct answer. What is the most important position in the restaurant?
3: Whoever is in the forefront, whoever the first person you see, I feel like is very important. Hmm. Like a hostess or the front desk agent. Like, they're the first person you see. So that's your first experience of the restaurant or the location.
1: I think. Not a bad answer. Not a bad answer, but not right. Oh, okay. Me, I, I, nah. Go yeah. ahead, Lou.
0: Whew. I mean, I would say, oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, would it be back of house? Being that they are the ones that are kind of Knowing how to make the food and I know, and but no, I
1: said but a position. One He want something specific. one person.
0: Mm-hmm. One person?
1: One person.
0: I guess it would it be the executive chef?
1: Good answer, mm-hmm. but not correct. Matt? Okay. I mean, Cat. Uh, Pat.
2: I'm thinking like I'm gonna go for like the underdog. And nothing against offering my F and B people because I love y'all. Um I don't know. It's almost like between the dishwasher and I don't even want to say the busser. I'm going to go for one of those two. Okay. You know, I don't play it by rules that good. So, like,
1: <laughs> so, so One of those two. <laughs> so Kat got it. So it's the dishwasher. Oh. The dishwasher is the heart and soul and fundamental person of that restaurant. Because if you don't have clean pots and pans, if you don't have clean dishes, if you don't have clean silverware, clean glasses, nothing's going out. So it doesn't matter. You can have a great front of the house person, a great hostess who wants to seat everyone. That's great, you got them seated. Well, but now they don't have water, they don't have drinks, they don't have silverware, they don't have food because the dishwasher didn't clean anything,
0: right? Mm. So that dishwasher Mm
1: -hmm. can grind your entire establishment to a a, a standstill, to a halt. And I say that because Kat alluded to that it's good for people to start from the foundation, from the bottom. I'd say Mm -hmm. it's a requirement. If you don't, as a manager, have respect, for the, the lowest person on that totem pole in terms of pay, right? Dishwasher makes the, probably the least amount of money in the whole place. They don't get tipped mm-hmm. out generally. You know, they're making minimum wage. They get, uh, you know, the stuff rolls downhill, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they're at the bottom of that heap. And at the end of the night, you know, when the kitchen cleans up, they're the ones there. The last, the last person in the kitchen is usually the dishwasher because the whole line, everyone in the kitchen dumped everything on them. I, you know, uh, I used to work at an Outback Steakhouse and I felt so bad for these guys. there would be two dishwashers back there and I'd be walking out to go home and they would have probably two hours worth of dishes left to wash because we dumped everything on them as soon as we started closing down. Mm. Um, so they, you know, they they are the heart and soul of that place. And that's why I think it's so important that if you want to be a manager, if you want to be a director, if you want to be any kind of higher management you better learn to have respect for that lowest man on the totem pole, lowest girl, woman on the totem pole. And the best way to do that is do their job.
0: Yeah, Just get in there yeah.
1: and do it.
2: Yep, shout out to all the stewarding and also to our Absolutely. dishwashers out there. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yes, for sure. And Andrew, I know you mentioned um, that you have a lot of um, war stories. <laughs> Can you share with us um, one that has kind of resonated with you and
1: just kind of
0: been memorable based off of your experience?
1: I mean, so I think, so I'll tell you my first one, my very first war story. And I think it exemplifies the restaurant business, especially back of the house, especially, but the hospitality industry in general and just what people have to have. So in theater, there's the saying, the show must go on. Well, it's very much like that in the restaurant industry. So I was 14, working in a kitchen, not supposed to be working in a kitchen because I was too young, but my dad knew the owner and it's really what I wanted to do. Um, and I thought I was a hot shot, And so I brought in my own knives because how we call them house knives, uh, knives that, that restaurants own are generally typically pretty garbage um and just treated horribly and so you bring in your own. So I brought in my own from home, which meant they were sharper and they were better. Um uh so 14 years old, it was in a restaurant in State College, Pennsylvania, um, which is if you know the home to uh the Nittany Lions to Penn State University, big football school. And so football weekends is when I worked. Uh and it was always insane. So we were doing I don't know, five, 600 covers in an afternoon, in a morning, right? Brunch into afternoon lunch. And cause it was all buffet. And my job was, my only job was to stand in the back and make salads. So I would take cases of, uh, iceberg lettuce and have to chop them up and you put them in 55 gallon trash can, but it's a food grade trash can that never has trash in it. It's got holes in the bottom. So you can wash your lettuce and drain it and, it comes out the bottom. So you mix all, and you buy this other salad mix, and you mix it all together, and then you put it on plates, and you garnish it with your cucumber and tomato and carrots, put it on sheet trays, wrap it in plastic, throw it in the walk-in uh, so that they have that ready for later. And um, so we're running through, running through. They don't even get wrapped in plastic. They're just going. They're moving. They're moving. It's supposed to be the end of my shift. I have like a half hour left, if that. And the chef comes to me. And is like, okay, I need a whole nother 55-gallon trash can of uh salad ready to go and make it happen <laughs> so and you know it takes a little bit of time and i being young you just want to get out and go home um so i'm back there and chopping away chopping away and i hacked the whole corner of my thumb off ah, um, no. yeah i still have the scar i'm looking at it right now um oh so i i hacked the corner of my thumb off now i mean look not like horribly horribly like not down to the bone or anything but definitely like a chunk of my nail and a chunk of the corner of my thumb and so i run over to the chef i'm like you know like a little kid holding your hand down chef i'm bleeding and he's like okay put it above your head and i'm sure he's starting to panic a little bit because he's like oh great osha here we come I'm Gonna close my you know close me down so he puts my raises my hand above my head he goes upstairs and gets the first aid kit because we we're a, a two-level restaurant with a fancy restaurant upstairs. So he gets the first aid kit, comes downstairs. You guys watch SNL, the old SNL? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know the character Pat? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. So we had a Pat in our kitchen. No one was 100% sure if it was a guy or a girl. Um, I'm pretty sure it was a girl, but she was like off his nails and like it. you just you didn't mess with her. So she came over and held my arm and pinched my bicep. There's right where your artery is in your bicep to stop the blood. And she's like, if you don't keep your hand above your head, I'm gonna pinch this. It's gonna hurt really bad. And she pinched it, and I was like, okay, that hurts really bad. So keep <laughs> keep my hand above my head. <laughs> Chef comes down, cleans, cleans my thumb, tapes it up, you know, band-aids it, tapes it, puts a finger caught on it, ready to go. She comes over and it says hope open your hand and puts my th- the corner of my thumb in my hand is like here's your souvenir, <gasps> here's your first war wound and then they both looked at me and they said, Get back to your station and finish clean it up, throw all that away, sanitize it and finish cutting the lettuce and get it done. Uh, hey oh okay. oh oh we
2: didn't go to the hospital.
1: Oh for sure <laughs> oh, the hospital? What do you talk about a hospital? I've gone um, to the doctor I've been to the I have I have a giant uh scar across my thumb from where I was totally stupid and was trying i cleaned a boning knife on my on my apron by running by by holding it between my thumb and my finger and running it through my apron and sliced through my apron into my thumb down (gasps) to the bone that's the only time i've gone to the doctor uh to get they stitched me up i went back to work i was there for like 20 minutes it was outback steakhouse on father's day and I could only use one hand because the hand that I cut was throbbing so bad, and they taped it up like my thumb was the size of a baseball. Mm. So I couldn't, I couldn't grab anything, I couldn't touch anything in my left hand. And so they were like, Look, just go home. But, oh my gosh. But, you know, but that's, that's the mentality of the restaurant industry.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: The mentality is unless you're like, you get knocked out, or you're, <laughs> you're <laughs> like, if you can function, you function. Right. right, you 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 make it happen, um, because there are. This is one of the few industries in any manufacturing, retail, whatever, where we call it simultaneous production and consumption. Right, so even in lodging, your room is made ahead of time, a long time beforehand. Right, um, the building is built. The housekeepers made the room, it's et cetera, et cetera. Restaurant, your food is cooked hopefully within like a minute or two of it hitting your plate or of hitting your table and you eating. So that's why we call it simultaneous production and consumption. Your customer is there waiting for you um while you're doing your job. So it's it can be very stressful and it's and it's it's why you have to get it done. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing, there's no feeling like hitting 11 o'clock 12 o'clock at night where you had an awesome shift and you nailed every dish or most of them and you were proud of everything you sent out and you worked as a team and you cleaned up that kitchen and now you're sitting back having your shift beer or you know telling war stories with your buddies um you know there's just no feeling that's the same thing as that
2: yeah that was amazing and you know what i think that For some of us who have either worked in where you kind of worked in and you've seen really, I call it kind of the respect of the back of the house with the front of the house. I used to almost call like they're almost in a love-hate relationship, the back of the house and the front of the house. But honestly, it's funny you were telling me these stories and my cousin, he's a chef. And I'll never forget, like one day I had like a little splinter and I was crying over the splinter. He's like, me, suck it up, cat. I cut the side (laughs) of my finger and I'm like, suck it up. Um, But you know what? Honestly... You can tell that, you know, when you have the passion and the drive and the love for what you do, and you can tell by also those team members that were working with you at that restaurant, you know, this is the life, you know, this is the life and business has to continue. But at the same time, like you said, at the end of the night, you know, when you've had a great day or a great shift, like you look back and you also look about how much you were able to produce you and your team, you know? So again, mad respect to those in the back of the house, um, because some of us were just enjoying that good food and have no idea what's (laughs) going on back there. Now, Mm. talking a little bit um, to, you know, with your passion and your work experience, um, who have been three people who have influenced you the most, or most influential to you?
1: Hmm. Uh, Let's see. well so it was totally cliche well let's see in food in the food world um, you know again kind of cliche but I you know gotta have gotta give him his props as Anthony Bourdain uh, mm. I never worked for him never worked with him but you know seeing his career um, seeing how passionate he was about what he did and even though he was totally messed up in so many ways uh just seeing how much he loved food and he loved people and he loved doing what he did um that was a big one for me um in terms of the straight food side in terms of the restaurant side so um i make all my students read this book it's setting the table by danny meyer um and so again while i never worked for danny um (laughs) i have read that book about a million times and have talked about that book every semester that i've taught um restaurant management and how he describes to look let me back up. I try to teach my students the nuts and bolts of the restaurant industry. And I let Danny teach them how to be, how to have hospitality, mm. right? There's a difference between service and hospitality. Service is the perfect execution of the evening, right? From the time someone walks in the door to the time that someone leaves. You can have awesome service and crap hospitality, right? So service is just about the, the perfect execution, the nuts and bolts making sure the right fork is out, that you've marked your tables, that everything's cleared, that uh, the food comes out hot or cold or whatever it's supposed to be. Hospitality is making the evening memorable, it is making uh, someone, uh, you know, when I was a waiter, my favorite thing to do was when a couple would come in, you could tell they'd been bickering they're having a crap night and they're not, you know, they're probably just going to get through it. And you do everything you can to put smiles on their faces. Right? If I can put a smile on their face when they think they're going to have a bad night and not because of anything I did, just their own life, now I've made a difference in their lives. Right? I've, I've helped them not just feed themselves and not put food in their belly, but to renew themselves a little bit. Um, and that's what Danny talks about. And he talks about how, from a management perspective, how important to put your employees first. Um, how important it is to put them up. Look, as a manager, am I going to interact with every customer that walks through my door? Absolutely not. I can't. That's why I have employees. The only way I can make sure those employees want to take care of my customers is by treating my employees like my customer to make sure that I'm taking care of them to the best of my ability so that if they're taking, if my employees taken care of and I've, and I've, ensure that they have a good wage that their bellies are full and that they enjoy what they're doing then they're going to take care of my take care of my customers so those are the first two and the last one so all three of mine are cliches and then the last one is my dad Uh, (laughs) so especially for what I do now he's also in hospitality education he's the dean over at University of uh, South Florida uh, Sarasota Manatee in the same field in hospitality. And I had the privilege of being a student in a department where he was the dean in Oklahoma State getting my undergrad. And then I had the privilege of being a student for my PhD at UNLV when he was um, an associate dean for a little bit and then just a faculty member for the rest of my time there. So I got to sit in on faculty meetings and I got to sit in on watching him be a leader and, and I also took a class from him, um, and watching him be a leader really helped me define the kind of leader that I want to be, because um, you're kind of a leader when you're a teacher, when you're a professor at the front of the classroom, you're kind of a leader then, but then also just among my colleagues. Uh, how do I want to behave with my colleagues, and how do I want to help us all be the best we can be? Um, and I learned that from him. And I, so I still hold him up. Do we see eye to eye and everything? Of course not. Um, but the beauty of being around him is learning how to navigate when people don't see eye to eye, right? How do you walk those crevices? How do you try to bring people together and narrow those gaps? And you know, he does a really good job and, and I've learned a lot from him over the years with that.
2: Aww. Those are
1: my three. Those are my three.
2: Aww, that's and I'm sweet. sure he's proud of you too,
1: Andrew. Yes, I'm sure he yes, is. Yes,
2: definitely. I
1: think so. I hope so.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I can tell you're very passionate about the restaurant industry. Can you share with us like three restaurant recommendations or places you love to eat in general?
1: So it depends on where in the slash world you are. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, I've been. How about all over. something
3: abroad? Maybe
1: well, something you, outside
3: of the U.S.
1: It's been it's been a while since I've been outside the U.S. So remembering adding names are is pretty difficult at this point. But there's <laughs> so, but I can share. So one place um, that I have very fond memories of, and again, I don't remember the name of the restaurant because I was probably in grade school when i went um in austria it was it happened to be the town where my parents had honeymoons a long time ago and then my dad and i went back it's a little town called Sankt anton and we have you have to walk to the at least when i was a kid it felt like the top of a mountain i'm sure it wasn't the top of a mountain but it was it was certainly up a road into the hills of this town um in austria it's you know it's like uh, I think it 's part of the alps i don 't know what exactly what mountain range, but i mean there 's big mountains there's big skiing there it was a ski resort and there's a it was about the experience of you had to it was a trek to get to this restaurant we didn 't have a car, and this was long before Uber or Lyft or anything like that and my dad 's too cheap to get a taxi um, <laughs> so there was like a crew of like six to ten of us hiking up this mountain to go eat at this restaurant to go have Schnitzel, um, And I think that says something about um, what makes a restaurant experience amazing is just that, that it's an experience, right? So it's, maybe it wouldn't have been as good if we had just rolled up in a taxi, right? But because we had to work for it and we had to, We had to trek and we had to have an adventure to get there. It made it all that much better. Um, So I I like that one. Um, One, again, it's not an actual restaurant, but one of my favorite things to do in any town where we're in, especially if we're traveling, especially outside of the U.S., because the U.S. isn't great for this in a lot of places, um, is finding the local market. So there's usually streets where there's markets, you know, finding a local bakery, finding the local deli. um, And you go and you just, you, you follow the locals around and wherever they go in, you go in and buy some food um, takeout. Right. So you, if you're in Paris, you want to make sure you find a great baguette and find the great cheese shop and, you know, have some cold cuts and some whatever marinated vegetables that you could find and olives and, you know, things like that, and a great bottle of wine, and then go sit on your patio or your porch at your hotel and have it or sit in the park or whatever. And so finding local foods to have a little picnic um, is always uh, something that I love to do. Um, And then in the US, always my thing when I go to a new place, it's always about finding what is the must have food in that area okay. um, and hopefully finding a place that it's hard, especially now with Yelp and with all the reviews that are out there, finding a place that's genuine and not just a tourist trap. Um, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because you, I want the authentic, you know, i go to New Orleans. I went to New Orleans this summer and I was there for seven days and eight in 21 restaurants.
3: Wow. Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) I mean, I think I had a gumbo every day, and I had a po' boy every day, Mm. Um, and then wherever else we went, you know, had something local and special. So, it's about finding that special experience that you can't have outside of that locale, right? So, in New Orleans, it's hard to have a real po' boy outside of New Orleans, because you can't get their bread. There's the local bakery that they all use for their bread. And you can't, you can get something similar outside but you can't get the same bread. Um, just like in, you know, around the country. Sure, even my, what's it, the Miami grill, you can get a cheesesteak. They love to say they're as good as they are in Philadelphia and I call horse mm-hmm. Uh There's only two places in the world that have awesome cheesesteaks and they are both in Philadelphia and they're across the street from each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I don't care which one you like better. As far as I'm concerned, they're both great. Um, so, it's you know, it's a it's about finding what's local, because chances are they do it the best right there. Um, yeah. So I know that wasn't exactly what you asked. I, you know, I I've eaten all over, and I don't remember a lot of the names of the restaurants because a lot of the times it's a hole in the wall that I've you know I'm just. I look at the menu and see oh the price point is decent and it looks like it's super what the town is known for and it looks like a whole bunch of locals are inside done that's what I want to eat
2: Aww. yeah but I think it was good though because I think sometimes we may kind of get focused on those that are like you know that we hear on social media like the new hot spots but Honestly, a lot of times it's those little hole in the walls that, I mean, honestly have some really great, amazing food, you know, and you really kind of get to be with the locals. I mean, you took me back to that time that Lourdes and I went and had some good po' boys. I kept telling Lourdes, it's like, oh my God, I'm so sad to leave because of all this good food. So honestly, I could see why, you know, it is just about those memorable experiences and trying things out that are new, you know, when you're going to these different countries or different states or cities.
1: Yeah, and you have to keep an open mind and remember that even if the (laughs) even if the experience isn't great, it's still an experience. It's even if the food was not what you wanted it to be. Yeah, at least you know, hopefully you were there with someone you care about. You know, whether it's a friend or a lover or whatever, that it's someone who you enjoy spending time with. So you have that memory and that you can laugh about it. And like you get some, you know, if you're in Spain and you're going to get tapas and you have no idea what you're ordering. But you ordered something you're like hey bring that over here And you put it on their plate and you're like oh my god that is not going my house. <laughs> like, so that may not be a good experience but it's still fun and funny and it's it's something that you can look back on and hopefully you suck it up and you try it because you're in a place and you should try it um, absolutely you know even if it's like a little octopus on a cracker or something Ooh, that's
2: yes mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so
0: andrew what one thing that people would be surprised to know about you
1: so it depends on what people (laughs) 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 Um, because y'all people know just about everything about me Um, (laughs) and it doesn't help because no one can see me but if i had to pick one thing it's probably that um but in the last two and a half years, I've lost like 120 pounds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that one, but you know, I, I play. You know, what on my first day of class, a lot of times I play two truths and a lie. So, uh, most people again won't guess how old I am. Like if I'm out and about at the gym and whatever, like people always think I'm in my early to mid 30s, um, or sometimes even younger, uh, especially if I trim my beard down and I don't have so much gray um but so that so that I don't I don't feel like I look like I'm 42 but I'm 42 and I then, didn't know that oh I didn't know you were yeah, 42 yeah just turned 42 in February wow and then, and then the mm-hmm. one nobody ever thinks I have five kids oh. so you know so again for being everyone thinks I look so young so then on top of that to have five kids um you know, And now that I'm a blended family, so two are biologically mine and three are my steps, but everybody lives with me full time. Uh, so it's a big, crazy house for here.
2: And you're a great father and have a wonderful wife because I take advice from Andrew all the time when I'm going crazy <laughs> with just my two. Yes. <laughs> yes. And
0: I aspire, to, I always say this to Andrew, I always aspire to have the parenting skills that he and his wife have because I just appreciate... How
1: they raise their children, and they just do an amazing job. So, oh, well, thank yes. you. Ask what do you trying to say about, about that, my like? parenting
2: skills? I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking.
1: <laughs> it's we have okay. one thing. <laughs> we have one thing in common. We 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 make uh, liberal use of the chancleta.
2: Uh 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 huh. Sorry for our listeners. You know, sorry. You know, I do do timeouts, but sometimes no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. There's it's at least a threat. And then sometimes the chocolate gets chucked across the room at them.
2: Exactly, it may not hit them. You know, it's just a, a little, you know, you see this, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. Uh, now talking about the family and, you know, being home right now, and uh, obviously it's a really challenging time. It's kind of crazy. I tell Lourdes and that, and my students, myself, that sometimes I'm pinching myself saying, I can't believe that we're in this situation. So it's kind of like a two-part question number one what are you doing to kind of keep chill and then or you know as much as possible with you and your family and the second question is what advice would you give to our students um, out there or our listeners to kind of do the same in this time and to kind of say you know positive um, during this uncertainty that we're in right now
1: yeah for sure so <clears throat> My wife, her name is Wendy. Um, we, for the during the week, the weekends we relax. During the week, we have a schedule. So our alarms go off at well, hers and mine. Our alarm goes off at six forty-five, and we try to be out of bed at seven. We have a second alarm at seven because you know everyone's got to have that snooze time. Um, get up at seven, and then I'm very lucky and blessed. You know, I before this all happened. I found a used Peloton on Facebook stores or whatever it's called. So I have a Peloton and I have um, an a exercise station, a dip, tower, a dip and pull up tower. So every morning she gets up, she hits the Peloton first and we have the app, so there's, there's uh, yoga. So I just started doing that. So while she's on the bike, I do yoga and then she gets off the bike and I do the bike and she'll take a shower and then get the kids so and then they're up at seven fifteen. so by eight o'clock so we have i guess what i'm trying to say is we have a routine our routine starts with exercise though every morning so at least we get up and you try to feel good about yourself there's a the general there's a general and i can't remember his name said the best i think he was speaking at a commencement at a, a west point or a, some military academy that the best thing you can do every day is make your bed get up every morning make your bed and saying we do that my bed's made right now because i thought i was going to be on video for this and i'm in my bedroom (laughs)
0: Um,
1: so so it doesn't have to be making your bed but it's get up and and do something to feel accomplished first thing in the morning and for us it's to move and to get some exercise in Um, and then it's keeping a a regular schedule with our kids so they're up they know what's expected of them they all get up they get themselves showered they get themselves dressed downstairs eight o'clock breakfast uh eight by 8 15 8. 30, when they're done eating breakfast they know they have to read for a half hour and then they have to write us sentences about what they read and then they get out their laptops and they jump on their schoolwork um and so by that time then i have i'm done with my stuff she showered i eat breakfast they come up and i sit down on my computer anywhere between nine and ten and i start working um you know and then i'll work and have lunch with them and then you know they wrap up the around two or three and I'll work some more and my work schedule is definitely cut down I don't get in a full eight hours I just can't because by two or three in the afternoon Wendy's toast I mean she's been homeschooling kids for, since 9 a.m eight thirty a.m and she needs a break too so like we work together and then I'll go and kind of take over and we send them outside to play and you know I make sure that I cook dinner for the family every night we have family dinner every night five thirty, six o'clock And the kids play and we put them to bed the same time every night. You know, little kid, the smaller ones go to bed at eight. The big kids go to bed at 830. We do it all over again. So that's what I do. What keeps me sane is the exercise um, and having feeling accomplished, making sure that I'm working um, because when you work from home, you the The bed can look awfully good, right <laughs> <laughs> or that show you started binging last night on Netflix looks awfully good, like oh, I'm just gonna watch one episode and then like five hours later and the rest of the season, and yeah. you haven't done anything so it's you know so that's me what I would say to our students is, get up every day, do something in the morning, go for a walk if you can, do even if I mean I have a body weight exercise routine that Requires zero equipment, zero. So there's no excuses. You don't need bands. You don't need a tower. You need a chair, a chair and some sneakers. That's it. Um, Move your body. Take a shower every day, right? (laughs) Look, I mean, that sounds but but take a shower. Like, brush your teeth. Just, you know, the stuff you would have normally done and put yourself on some sort of routine. Try to go to bed at a reasonable hour. I'm sure there's so many people out there who are just up until two, three, four o'clock in the morning because they can, uh, but it throws your whole body out of cycles. It's trying to keep some semblance of a normality and a routine while okay. adapting to the situation. And, and look, the first couple of weeks, this whole thing went down, you know, my wife and I both put on weight because across social media, everyone's like, Oh, I'm going to put on the, you know, the Corona 19, right. Or 36 or 38, right. Because everyone's eating and, and a lot of the research says people are, if you smoke cigarettes, smoking more cigarettes. If you smoke pot, they smoke more pot. If you drink, you're drinking more. If you eat junk food, you're eating more junk food, right? That all our vices are in overdrive right now because we're using them to cope with this anxiety and the stress of not knowing and being in in this, uh, it's just these uncharted territory. And right. so it's trying to find the positive routines that you can do. Fall back on the positive things that you did instead of the vices mm-hmm. right. uh, to yeah. self soothe and to help yourself feel better.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. That set me up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and look, look, maybe as a point of inspiration. So it was probably like a week after we started, maybe two weeks after. I can't remember. I have to look back at the exact time. But I had put on a little, a couple pounds over Christmas, and then another couple pounds at the beginning of COVID. So like, when I I had been down before Christmas. I had been down to two oh six, and then by the time a week or two into this thing, I was up to two twenty, and you know, and that's not a. It sounds like a big jump, but for a guy my size, it's really not. Um, but still, like my shirts weren't fitting quite right, my pants were a little tight, and so uh, I think it's been maybe four weeks now. I'd have to look, I was 220. And now today I'm down to 212. So wow. there, it is possible even with all this, and I haven't been perfect, right? I still drink on Fridays and Saturdays. I like bourbon, right? <laughs> like, Me uh, so. Me uh, <laughs> too. I like to have a couple cocktails. I like to have candy on occasion, but it's about mo- being consistent most of the time right? So mm-hmm. if you're going to drink, don't drink every day. There's no need yeah. to. You're just going to mess yourself up. If you're going to mm-hmm. have a piece of cake, don't have cake every day. Have it once a week. You know, like watch what you eat most of the time, exercise every day, and then and then let yourself go once one day a week to to relax a little bit.
2: Oh, yeah. Thank you, Andrew.
1: No problem.
2: I got I to work on that, not a piece of cake once a week, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So thanks Andrew for taking the time to talk with us and be real we appreciate it.
1: No problem.
0: So that now leads into our next segment which is real world talks trivia. Uh
1: <laughs> here we go. I suppose I deserve it since I quizzed you guys earlier. Yes. <laughs> mhm.
3: So are you ready? So let me just talk a little bit about the trivia. So I will ask each contestant two questions of the topic um, today, which is horror movie trivia. A little uh, birdie told me that Andrew watches a lot of horror movies, and now I'm gonna. Put no, no, see the my wife. Best.
1: Wait, wait, my wife watches the horror movies, and that's not fair because Lourdes watches way more horror movies than I do, so she's gonna win.
3: What? But, no, no no, but, no, 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 no. Andrew, you can call a friend for one of your questions. You can call your wife to help you. Okay. Oh,
2: Nelly's being real nice. Oh, real nice. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I my, okay.
1: I, I got my phone here. I'm gonna text her and see if she's on her phone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Let's see.
3: Okay. Are you ready? Yep. And you. By the way, you have ten seconds to answer each question. Okay. Okay, so your first question is: Leatherface was a character in which horror film?
1: Oh, ooh, 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 this ooh, is Chainsaw ooh. Massacre. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> don't ask okay. me if I watched it or not because I haven't. But oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> come
2: on, that's the
1: classic.
0: Yeah. Even even
1: Wendy told me the new one is like just I I don't like slasher films and there's just so much blood. She's like even she got queasy watching it and she loved. Yeah. Films. <laughs> It was intense
3: yeah okay your next question is a true or false question okay so michael myers escaped mm-hmm. from the federal penitentiary is that true or false
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 i'm gonna go false
3: correct he escaped uh-huh. from the state hospital okay Andrew. Yep. and you said you didn't even call a friend you didn't need one <laughs>
2: Yep. You I was waiting for that call just in case you heard my happy dance in there. Mm-hmm. Shout <laughs> out to Michael Myers. I'm sorry. I'm a big Halloween fan.
3: <laughs> you see? These questions are not bad. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's
2: what she says now and then we will wait. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yep. Who wants to go next? Lourdes or Kathy? I'll go. Okay. So your question is when Carrie, in the um, horror film Carrie in 1976. She goes to the stage after being voted Palm Queen.
2: Mm-hmm. Please
3: douse her with what blood of which animal?
1: Oh, God. I know. I know.
3: Mm-hmm, me too. Call a friend. You have eight seconds, Kathy.
1: Um, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it's pig blood.
3: Yep. Okay, Andrew, you're pig on the road. Okay, Kathy, you got that one. <laughs>
2: i was thinking go i did not remember the blood she always gives me <laughs> the specific little details go for it go for it thank you
3: okay so your next question is in which horror film did the monster slash villain attack high school kids through their dreams
2: freddie krueger and Nightmare, no, on Nightmare, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Oh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street. But, uh, uh, ooh, guys, it? It's too late now. But it was ready. <laughs> wasn't he going in the dream? You
3: had joke chance. Mm, mm, mm. So
0: you only have oh, one correct.
2: <laughs> you see what I mean about the foolery? I'm so glad I didn't say a bad word. I'm so uh. glad. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. So, Lourdes, are
3: you ready? I think so. Okay. So which, okay, so they have numerous of uh, movies for this specific title. So which of the following movies is set at a summer camp? Okay. I can give you the options. Okay. The Shining, Nightmare on Elm Street, When a Stranger Calls, Friday the thirteenth or Carrie? Which one?
0: Oh my gosh. I know. Mm, 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 mm. You can Somebody's gonna watch friend. it with his wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I just, wa- I just you watched have seven it. Too. Uh-huh. Okay, can I phone a friend? Yes, go ahead. Andrew.
1: Friday the thirteenth. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mr.
3: I don't watch horror movies. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> he was trying to freak you, you guys Andy. out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. okay.
1: Okay. I'm just showing off. It's all. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm.
3: Okay, Loris. This is your last question. Okay. So, in the movie The Shining, what mm-hmm. is the significance of Redrum? R E D r-u-m what is the, the significance of that specific word in the shining what
0: what do you the mean
3: word? what does it mean like throughout the movie they say it's represented in the movie redrum so what does it mean what's the significance of it what's the importance of that word oh lord isn't
0: it isn't doesn't that mean murder it's spelled backwards though yes correct
1: Look at okay. <laughs>
3: Yes, so that that is one of my. Mm-hmm, that's you one of my favorites. Oh, I'm gonna give you guys a tiebreaker here. Whoever answers this question first wins the whole game. Oh Lord. Uh oh. Are you okay. ready, Andrew? Yeah, we're ready. Okay, how many killers are revealed at the end of Scream?
1: Oh. Oh, which
3: which one?
2: One. Oh, sorry, I am not in, I'm sorry.
3: Kathy, you're not in the race.
2: <laughs> I, just, I just said, I took myself out of it. I was excited.
0: So, Wasn't it one? And well, ask us a different question. <laughs> okay, I'll ask you guys a different question.
1: And yes. you didn't even say anything. I love I was it. I am sitting here, I'm like, dude, I watched that movie when I was, like, when it first came out. I don't even know.
3: <laughs> okay, this is an easy one. Whoever answers first is the winner.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Norman Bates murdered his mother and her what? Oh, Norman Bates murdered his mother and her blank is there a cat.
0: And <laughs> what if, but was it his psychiatrist? No, his, her
3: lover.
1: Uh, so you, ah, oh, he asked, you asked all the ones I already know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we
3: can't break the tie. Wait, hold on. Let me, let me.
1: Hey, Let wait, me, wait, this is a, okay. I, I, I know the, the, the question. This question will
3: break the tie. So this quote is very popular from this horror film. This is the quote: "What have you done to its eyes? Mm-hmm. To its eyes? Mhm. I can give you guys the options: the yeah. Omen, the Exorcist." Paranormal Activity or The Rosemary's Baby. Whoever answers first. Oh,
1: oh, oh. Okay, it's
3: not Exorcist. It's. Can you give it the options again? The Omen, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, and Paranormal Activity. What have you okay. done to its eyes?
0: It's not Paranormal Activity. It's not Exorcist. Andrew. It's. Is it. Is it Rosemary's Baby? Yes, correct. Whoa. Okay.
1: Good. Woohoo. Uh, did Watch you out. know, Andrew? No. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was sitting at my computer. I was ha- I was gonna Google it, but I didn't what? That's fast deep. enough. <laughs> it's oh. my call in. I never had a call in. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say Google couldn't be my phone call. <laughs> That's true, <but laughs> Oh
3: my this okay, is the winner. Thank you, Andrew. you
0: you've been a good contestant. You were very Yes
1: you were. Mm-hmm. You're welcome.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. And thank you to all of our listeners today for listening to us for another episode of Real World Talks. And if you have any questions, topics for our trivia next week, or any special guests that you'd like to see in any of our future podcasts, let us know. Thanks and have a great week.
3: Thank Thank you. you. Say Bye.